Hi everyone, I'm Serena from the Geology Podcast Network coming to you from Kingston, Ontario. Canada is a big place and the majority of us have not been able to explore its full extent. That is why, in the face of a global pandemic keeping us at home, I am bringing you some armchair Canadian geology. Welcome to the Backyard Geology Podcast Series, Canada Edition. Join me on a trip across Canada to look at some of our most treasured sites. This week's stop, Regina, Saskatchewan. the prairies. Whether you live there, have driven through the area on a cross-country road trip, or are a big fan of the western interior seaway, you know that the prairies are pretty much entirely flat. It's great for dog sledding, but not so great for downhill skiing and mountain biking. The western interior seaway, which you can hear about in an upcoming episode based in Alberta, once cut across North America from the Gulf of Mexico to the Arctic Ocean during the late Cretaceous period about 80 million years ago, filling the basin that we see today through the prairies and contributing to the never-ending flatness of the area. But if you jump back almost 2 billion years ago, the area was anything but flat. The Paleoproterozoic Trans-Hudson Orogeny, a mountain-building event, formed the heart of the North American continent through a series of accretionary events during a Himalaya-sized orogeny. Early Earth was a hostile place, without continents. After forming 4.6 billion years ago, Earth began to slowly cool and to take shape. The first continents emerged from oozing of molten rock into a mostly oceanic setting from primitive mid-ocean ridges or spreading centers, which is where we now see new crust being produced today. There was less continental crust and only microbial life existed. The continents as we see them today were not always in their current positions, and didn't even exist. To understand the movement of the continents and how the Trans-Hudson orogeny contributed to the forming of North America, it is important to understand the theories that govern the positions of the continents. The mantle, which sits under the hard outer crust of the Earth, is composed of semi-fluid molten rock. The crust essentially floats on the mantle. Over time, the continents, or the crust, move over the mantle and move around the globe. I like to think of the Earth as a Ferrero Rocher chocolate. There is a hard, nutty, or rocky, crust, which sits on top of the softer, semi-fluid chocolate layer, the mantle. The central whole hazelnut is Earth's solid nickel-iron core. Learning about the structure of the Earth is a great reason to go buy some chocolate, if you need a reason. The theory of continental drift was first proposed by Alfred Wegener, in 1912, who noticed that fossil assemblages could be traced across the modern-day continents as if they were once all connected. Now if you go take a look at a map today, you can see most notably that South America and Africa kind of look like puzzle pieces that once fit together. Now despite the evidence, this theory was not widely accepted as it lacked a plausible driving mechanism. In 1953, Marie Tharp aligned echo soundings from several ships that were crossing the Atlantic Ocean and discovered the Mid-Atlantic Ridge, a crustal spreading center which we now know is a major source for new crustal material originating from the underwater basaltic lava eruptions. Tharp's discovery provided key evidence to support Regner's theory of continental drift. 
From this, Tuzo Wilson described plate tectonic cycles in a 1968 publication which described the formation and recycling of Earth's crust over geologic time. This later became known as the Wilson Cycle, which describes six tectonic stages of continental movement and the continuous formation and recycling of crust. Over geologic time, continents float around Earth, coming together and separating. At subduction zones, where oceanic crust meets continental crust, the denser, heavier oceanic crust sinks under the less dense, more buoyant continental crust. As heat and pressure increase beneath the surface, the sunken crust melts and gets recycled back into the mantle. If two pieces of continent collide, neither is able to sink below the other, and the two get squished together, thrusting crustal material upwards, forming mountains by a process called abduction, the opposite of subduction. Meanwhile, at mid-ocean ridges, including that discovered by Marie Tharp in the 1950s, lavas erupt from the mantle, forming new crust. This causes spreading at the ridge, which in turn pushes the crust into subduction and abduction zones. The spherical shape of the Earth favors the assembly and disassembly of continents by this cycle. Supercontinents are a direct result of the Wilson cycle and occur when all or most of the continents are joined together. Pangaea is easily the most famous supercontinent that existed and was the most recent continental assembly which began its breakup into the seven continents we have today about 200 million years ago. While you might be familiar with Pangaea, the Wilson cycle has prompted the assembly and disassembly of continents numerous times over the past 4.6 billion years. Other notable supercontinents were Rodinia, which existed about 1 billion years ago, and Columbia, also called Nuna, which existed in the Paleoproterozoic about 1.8 to 1.3 billion years ago. The assembly of Columbia was brought to you in part by the Trans-Hudson Orogeny, starting about 2 billion years ago. Cratons are large areas of Earth's crust that have remained assembled and relatively stable for the past 540 million years or so. The North American Craton, also called Laurentia, is just that, and comprises most of the United States and Canada, excluding the Cordillera on the western coast and the Appalachians on the far eastern coast. The Cordillera as well as the Appalachian Mountains formed much later with continental-continental collisions on the west and east coasts of Laurentia. Their more recent formation date means that they have not been eroded down and can be conquered by skiers and mountain bikers alike. Meanwhile, the flat prairie terrain conceals the monumental Trans-Hudson Orogeny, which stitched together two major microcontinents, also called geologic provinces, the Superior Province to the southeast, and the Churchill province to the northwest, forming a good portion of Laurentia. Since both provinces were made from buoyant continental crust, neither was able to sink down into the mantle. The result? A mountain-building event. The Manicouan Ocean, which once separated the terrains, closed by subduction of the oceanic crust. This was followed by a continental-continental collision in which the terrains were jammed together, thrusting crustal material upwards. The union of the Superior and Churchill provinces formed the heart of North America, 
along with a hefty mountain chain, which was subsequently eroded down to almost nothing over the next 1.5 billion years. If the mountains are gone, how do geologists know about the Trans-Hudson orogeny, and how do they know it was comparable in size to the Himalayan orogeny? Delineating the geologic history of the area comes down to defining the terrains through distinct chemical signatures, working backwards with intensely deformed structures and analysis of the crust below the surface. One of the most notable pieces of evidence for this origin is the intense metamorphism and deformation stretching across the north-central United States and through central Canada, under Hudson's Bay, where the name originated, and into the southern portion of Baffin Island up north. Regina sits in the lower section of the Trans-Hudson Orogenic Belt, as recorded by solid rock called bedrock underlying the surface deposits and soils. The local bedrock patterns and the bedrock across the Orogenic Belt record the orogeny as an extremely structurally complicated melange of metamorphic rocks with igneous intrusions from episodic magmatism that occurred alongside the intense heat and pressure spells that happened throughout the collision. In addition to parent material from the Superior and Churchill plates, the area includes crustal material from small oceanic arcs that once resided in the Manicouan Ocean between the two continents. Volcanism occurring in arc-like formations at primitive spreading centers would have formed small chains of islands across the ocean. As the two continents moved in on each other, they took the arcs with them. Looking at a geologic map of Saskatchewan, you can easily see the complicated mash of accreted, thrusted, folded, and faulted rocks that make up the bedrock. Of course, if you were in the Regina area, you'd have a hard time locating outcrops of the bedrock because they have since been covered by glacial deposits from the Laurentide ice sheets, which dumped sediments across the country over the past several thousand years, just like in Hamilton over the rocks of the Niagara Escarpment. In addition to the melange of geologic units, the crust is thicker in the area, as recorded by the depth of the Moho, which is the boundary between the crust and the mantle. This was determined by geophysical surveys and is a telltale sign of a continental-continental collision since the crust is so thick. The flat prairies conceal a monumental geologic event from two billion years ago that formed the central portion of our continent thanks to the drifting of continents over the mantle. It's hard to imagine the towering mountains that once existed there before erosion washed them away. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your family and friends. Backyard Geology Canada Edition is part of the Geology Podcast Network, sponsored by Travelling Geologists.